Welcome to a new series of Livewire entitled Creativity Equations. Now, I know that the animal kingdom can be creative at times, but really creativity is something that's owned, if you like, by human beings. For instance, you don't have to check up on the latest penguin fashion or monkey technology. Animals are pretty much doing what they've always done, whereas human beings, we've moved on significantly. So I want you to think about this as we think about our first verse. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. So God has created us to be creative. And the fact of the matter is that this is taking us incredible places. I've been doing some research and right now most of us have a desktop computer with the brain power of a grasshopper, but in 2020 it's likely we'll have access to uh, computers with the brain power of a human being. They'll be able to talk back to us, they'll be able to question whether what we're planning on doing is the best thing that we could do. Some of the more fascinating things are neural implants or neural implants. So in the past when you had an exam, uh, you know, you had to study and learn. In the future, you'll just be able to go out and buy some RAM. It'll be put into your brain and you'll just have access to that knowledge. You want to go to France? Don't bother learning French. Get a neural implant and you'll know French. Want to learn guitar? Why? You'll be able to know the guitar. Now, that, that sounds ridiculous to us. If you're in your 20s, that sounds just far-fetched. But the fact of the matter is, when I was in my 20s, if somebody had explained to me an iPad or the ability to send information wirelessly, I'd have thought they were just living in a fantasy land. The fact is, we imagine things, then we have the inclination to make them happen, and that's what leads to innovation. So what will the result of all this be? Well, essentially, that knowledge will decrease in value and wisdom will increase. You see, it's a law of supply and demand. Knowledge is easier and easier to gain. You can Google things where in the past you had to go to college to learn that stuff. So the fact is the future is going to be owned by those who don't know things, but owned by those who can imagine things. Those with the wisdom to create. Not those who know ideas, but those who have the creativity to share their ideas in new and, and um, creative ways. And as we think about this, we have to think, well, where does creativity come from? Is it something that we can all have or is it a special skill? No, the fact of the matter is we're born with creativity. We end up unlearning it. So let's just take a quick look at this short clip from a TED talk by Sir Ken Robinson. He was in the nativity play. Do you remember the story? <laughs> no, it's big, it's a big story. Mel Gibson did the sequel, you may have seen it. I don't <laughs> Nativity too. But um, James got the part of Joseph, which we were thrilled about. We consider this to be one of the lead parts. Uh, we had the place crammed full of agents and T-shirts. You know, James Robinson is Joseph. Uh, we had... He didn't have to speak, but do you know the bit where the three kings come in? Now, they come in bearing gifts, and they, they bring gold, frankincense, and mare. This really happened. We're sitting there, and they, I think, just went out of sequence. Because we talked to the little boy afterwards and said, you know, are you OK with that? And they said, yeah, why was that wrong? They just switched, I think that was it. Anyway, the three boys came in, little four-year-olds with tea towels on their heads, and they put these boxes down. The first boy said, I bring you gold. And the second boy said, I bring you mare. 
And the third boy said, Frank sent this. <laughs> what these things have in common is that kids will take a chance. You know, if they don't know, they'll have a go. Am I right? They're not frightened of being wrong. Now, I don't mean to say that being wrong is the same thing as being creative. What we do know is, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. If you're not prepared to be wrong. And by the time they get to be adults, most kids have lost that capacity. Uh, they have become frightened of being wrong. And we run our companies this, by the way. We stigmatize mistakes. And we're now running national education systems where mistakes are the worst thing you can make. And the result is that we are educating people out of their creative capacities. Picasso once said this. He said that all children are born artists. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. I believe this passionately, that we don't grow into creativity, we grow out of it. So in many ways, our education system has strip-mined us of our creativity. And I think this is sad because um, for many of us, when we're working in the schools, we can see that critical thinking has become almost less important to young people. And I think that's a real shame. So what I've been trying to do is through coming up with equations, helping, if you like, to kickstart our creativity again. Uh, when I lived in Manchester, we lived on a hill and we often had cars that were a little bit run down. You know, in Manchester, it can be quite damp and cold. So you would park your car overnight and the next morning it just wouldn't start. So we would have to jumpstart it. We would park it in such a way that in the morning we could take the lock, the lock off and just walk or kind of run down the hill pushing the car. It would just start going, put our feet on the clutch, lift our clutch and jump start the car. Once we jump started the car, it was fine for the rest of the day. And what I'm hoping to do is kind of use equations to help jump start our creativity, to get us going and get that creative skill and those juices flowing again. So with that in mind, uh, before we look at the first of our equations, let me introduce one more short video. This uh, is a wonderful commercial that make, makes, I think, a really good point. Our village, it was falling apart around us. Why? Over the years, we had forgotten how to use our hands. We came to see them as totally useless. We did everything without them. But we were happy with things the way they were. Until one day, overnight, you see, this thing appeared. It was huge, and nobody knew where it had come from. People were confused. We came up with theories and plans, elaborate plans to get rid of this nut. But nothing changed. Till finally... And there you have it. The hands of everybody in the village came to life all at once. Every single person happily got cracking. A new life began. Oh, 
In the end, it doesn't matter where this nut came from. We learned something. You just have to get started. So in my mind, we walk around with our creativity in our pockets. And we're not as creative as we could be and something seems to be holding us back. So with that in mind, let's look at our first workshop. Please think about an area of your work that requires creativity. Then put the following limiting factors into the order of the most limiting. In other words, which of these are the most limiting, do you think? A lack of resources, rules, inexperience, structures, or traditional ideas. Let me say that one more time for those listening on the podcast. Lack of resources, rules, inexperience, structures, or traditional ideas. So I don't know what order you came up with, but I can guarantee one thing for sure. I disagree with you. Uh, how do I know I disagree with you? Because everything on that list is not a limiting factor. In fact, they're some of the most uh, best aids I could think of for creativity. And during this Livewire series, I want to show you how some of those things are so helpful to kickstart our creativity. So let's look at the first of our equations and let me introduce the theme of emptiness. Genesis 1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. You know, God has always been drawn to emptiness. There's something about emptiness that he loves to fill. Now, when I say emptiness, I don't mean apathy or laziness or a lack of purpose. I mean a lack of fullness, a lack of our personal opinion, our resources, a lack of our personal agenda, our desire for the next step. And what I've learned even in, in counseling and helping people and teaching people is that sometimes you have to let people just talk themselves out. Sometimes people have so many things on their mind when they're telling you a problem. If you give them an answer too quickly, they're not going to hear it because they've got more things they want to tell you. And sometimes you just have to let, let, uh, kind of sit there and wait for them to become empty before they can receive something. A lack of resources is in no way a problem for creativity. In fact, a lack of resources is sometimes exactly what we need. So what is the biggest hindrance to creativity? I don't think it's a lack of resource. I think it's a lack of fullness. Pay started in 1992 in a small church that had a very, very small budget. In fact, I didn't even have a budget to do what I did. And that led to some great things, you know, because we didn't have the money to buy buildings. We had the idea of placing our apprentices in families because we couldn't attract or we didn't know or have contact with whether very wealthy people uh, we were able to come up with some uh, new ideas to resource what we did and we came up with an economic model that's incredible and I think actually I wonder if Pays would have been able to start in a mega church there are so many resources maybe we would have never had 
the necessity for the kind of creativity we've had. I've just returned from um, a large church in a different part of the States that's been adopting our ideas for mission and, uh, and uh, discipleship and Bible study. And I think really that it's been the necessity that's driven us to these new ideas that they would say are fresh and new. So with that in mind, let me um, show you a video of a lady called Janet. Janet is a woman who uh, has become famous for a new kind of structure, a new kind of sculpture. And as you watch her story, I want you to jot down the things that she did not have that led her to her creativity. This story is about taking imagination seriously. 14 years ago, I first encountered this ordinary material, fishnet, used the same way for centuries. Today, I'm using it to create permanent, billowing, voluptuous forms, the scale of hard-edged buildings in cities around the world. I was an unlikely person to be doing this. I never studied sculpture, engineering, or architecture. In fact, after college, I applied to seven art schools and was rejected by all seven. I went off on my own to become an artist, and I painted for 10 years when I was offered a Fulbright to India. Promising to give exhibitions of paintings, I shipped my paints and arrived in Mahabalipuram. The deadline for the show arrived. My paints didn't. I had to do something. This fishing village was famous for sculpture, so I tried bronze casting. But to make large forms was too heavy and expensive. I went for a walk on the beach, watching the fishermen bundle their nets into mounds on the sand. I'd seen it every day, but this time I saw it differently. A new approach to sculpture, a way to make volumetric form without heavy, solid materials. My first satisfying sculpture was made in collaboration with these fishermen. It's a self-portrait titled, Wide Hips. <laughs> we hoisted them on poles to photograph. I discovered their soft surfaces revealed every ripple of wind in constantly changing patterns. I was mesmerized. I continued studying craft traditions and collaborating with artisans, next in Lithuania with lace makers. I liked the fine detail it gave my work, but I wanted to make them larger, to shift from being an object you look at to something you could get lost in. Returning to India to work with those fishermen, we made a net of a million and a half hand-tied knots. Installed briefly in Madrid, thousands of people saw it, and one of them was the urbanist Manuel Solo Morales, who was redesigning the waterfront in Porto, Portugal. He asked if I could build this as a permanent piece for the city. I didn't know if I could do that and preserve my art. Durable, engineered, permanent, those are in opposition to idiosyncratic, delicate, and ephemeral. <laughs> for two years, I searched for a fiber that could survive ultraviolet rays, salt air, pollution, and at the same time remain soft enough to move fluidly in the wind. We needed something to hold the net up out there in the middle of the traffic circle. So we raised this 45,000 pound steel ring. We had to engineer it, 
to move gracefully in an average breeze and survive in hurricane winds. But there was no engineering software to model something porous and moving. I found a brilliant aeronautical engineer who designed sails for America's Cup racing yachts named Peter Heppel. He helped me tackle the twin challenges of precise shape and gentle movement. I couldn't build this the way I knew because hand-tied knots weren't going to withstand a hurricane. So I developed a relationship with an industrial fishnet factory, learned the variables of their machines, and figured out a way to make lace with them. There was no language to translate this ancient, idiosyncratic handcraft into something machine operators could produce. So we had to create one. Three years and two children later, <laughs> we raised this 50,000-square-foot lace net. It was hard to believe that what I had imagined was now built, permanent, and had lost nothing in translation. <laughs> This intersection had been bland and anonymous. Now it had a sense of place. I walked underneath it for the first time. As I watched the wind's choreography unfold, I felt sheltered and at the same time connected to limitless sky. My life was not going to be the same. I don't know if you notice all the things that she mentioned. Let me just mention a few from the top of my head. One was that her paints never arrived, and that led her to think about handcraft, that she didn't have the software um, to, to figure out how to change handcraft into uh, something more mechanical, and to put into computers to generate some of the things that she needed to do. Um, she didn't have the fibers that would last uh, in the weather conditions of different parts of the planets. She was rejected uh, by seven different schools of the art. It was this rejection, this lack of resource, this emptiness that led her to creativity. And with that in mind, let's look at our second workshop. Please reflect on these images of emptiness as they show on your screen and ask what creativity they may lead to. So we're gonna put up a picture for maybe 20 or 30 seconds each one and I want you just to be thinking what what could that lead to what kind of creativity could that lead to and then discuss that just for a few minutes with your group so let's look at our equation but before we do that let me read a passage of scripture that I think uh, really helps us understand the importance of emptiness the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha your servant my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditors are coming to take my two boys as their slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? The servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. 
Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So essentially, the miracle stopped when the emptiness stopped. And I think there's something really important for us to understand, and it's this. Creativity is a necessity brought on by purpose. So it follows that if there's a lack of something in your life that God could easily give, maybe it's because he's holding those things back because his plan for you is bigger or more different or more profound than what would normally happen. So if you think about what's missing, what you don't have, then maybe there's a clue there that God has something special for you to do. So I believe that emptiness is something that we can create. And I believe we can do it using this creativity equation. It goes like this, purpose minus the default idea plus the default idea equals creativity. Let me explain that. So you have purpose, maybe your purpose is to start a church, to plant a church, and you take away, in your imagination, you take away one of the main things you would do in order to fulfill that purpose. For instance, it might be a church building. Now that will lead you to think of things that you wouldn't normally think of. And then you can add back the church building, you factor that back into your plans, but you'll now have ideas that you wouldn't have previously thought about. So let me repeat that one more time. Purpose minus the default idea plus the default idea. I think this is a brilliant equation. I've used it many, many times to help people jumpstart their creativity. Listen to what Janet said later on in that video that we played earlier on. 14 years ago, I searched for beauty in the traditional things, in craft forms. Now I combine them with high-tech materials and engineering to create voluptuous, billowing forms, the scale of buildings. My artistic horizons continue to grow. Because of emptiness, because it all started for her with the fact that her paints didn't arrive. Here was a woman who would have probably been a fairly average artist, but in fact she became world famous and created a new form of art. So what about you? Maybe God's purpose for you is greater than you think, and maybe that's why there can be emptiness in our lives. Maybe why I was um, saved and brought up spiritually, if you like, in a church with little resources, because God had a bigger plan for me than I imagined. With that in mind, let's look at our final workshop. Please think about that area of your work that requires creativity and empty it using my creativity equation. First, identify the purpose of your work, then take away your default way of doing that, see what ideas that exercise jumpstarts in you, and then add back in your default idea and see which of the new ideas you still want to keep. So that equation one more time. Purpose minus the default way of doing things, added back in the default way of doing things equals creativity. It's a way of jumpstarting what you actually already have in you. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. I look forward to talking to you next time about another creation and creativity equation.